crash. Actually, I would go along with a major economic depression if it would put Akka Joe and the Bromley out of business. It's one o'clock. This is WBAI New York. You've been listening to Unstuck in Time with Larry Josephson. Margot Adler will be back in two weeks. And now Hepzibah said to Menuhin, etc., etc., etc. Orthodox Radio Hour, uh, and um, I'm here on alternate Mondays, you know, uh, James Ursay and I alternate on Mondays to clear up any confusion that the, uh, the great Larry might have inadvertently caused, and um, as far as Margot is concerned, I believe she's away in Crete, digging into the mysteries of the Magna Mater or something like that, so, but I'm here. Big mother? That <laughs> yeah, that's right, the big mother, right. Um, I'm here, and um, I had originally promised to uh, start talking about our great Astral Antarctic Convention this week, but something came up, and um, that something was that I got a uh, uh, pass to the press opening of Peter Brook's Mahabharata at uh, the uh, Brooklyn Academy of Music's new Majestic Theater, and uh, the entire marathon event of all nine hours on um, on Saturday. So I've had a day to think about it and I intend to ramble on about it at some length because uh, I consider it to be, um, well to give you my headline, I would say the London Times has called it the theater, theater event of the century. I would say it's, uh, my view perhaps isn't quite as long as the London Times, but I would say it's got to be one of the uh, major, major, major theatrical events in my life and in my lifetime, and that means your lifetime, too. So um, that's what we're going to talk about this week, and then if, uh, if I run out of things to say about that, we'll get into our uh, zine reviews towards the end of the show rather than the beginning, because I would like to keep a grasp on your attention here at the, uh, in the early hours of the show while I, while I talk about Mahabharata. So, uh, Sidney isn't here tonight. Max is helping out, sitting in for him, for which much thanks. And are we air-checking, Max? We are. Okay, we are. good, because uh, I intend to send a copy of this tape to Peter Brook. 
and maybe a copy to the Brooklyn Academy of Music to show them how much I appreciate their um, alacrity in getting me, uh, getting me that free pass. If any of them are listening, a WBAI tip, tip of the BAI hat to, uh, to the public relations department there. Um, now, I should explain, in talking about Peter Brook and the Mahabharata, that uh, I'm either very overqualified or totally unqualified, depending on how you look at it. And the reason for that is that uh, I have worked with Peter Brook, and I've known him since 1971, when the, uh, for, or the Center for Theater Research more or less began. I didn't... Uh, I, I didn't know him in Paris then when it really began, but I met him in Iran in 1971 when he came to do the first major work with the uh, uh, Centre pour Recherche, Recherche Théâtrale, and that was at the Shiraz Festival of Arts in, um, in Iran, which was a, a terrific annual event sponsored by the, uh, the Empress, paid for by her personally, I believe, at which, uh, over the course of the years, I always tried to go to and to work for so that I could get into everything for free, uh, just for writing about it. And the very first year that I got that job was 1971, the year that Peter Brook and his group came there to do Orgast, O-R-G-H-A-S-T, a play by Ted Hughes. And um, as for me, I had... Uh, wended my way to Iran from several years of bumming, traveling, hippieing around uh, India. As, as you know, if you've been listening to me and James, we sometimes, when we're together especially, we tend to uh, wander off into reminiscences about India. Well, that's where I was coming from, and I'd been out of touch with what you call your basic Western civilization for two or three years. And... Um, that was the first job I got in Iran. I lied to them. I told them I knew how to translate from French and I knew how to type. I knew how to do neither as it happened. But it uh, didn't matter because they never had such a good, um, a good writer as I was. Um, and I know that because I was there from that year all the way through to the very um, debacle, the fall, the crunch, the collapse of the Pahlavi dynasty and the very last Shiraz Festival of the Arts. And basically what I was supposed to do, they had a little um, daily bulletin that came out during the festival. And um, uh, I was the, um, the English writer and a chap named Iraj Gorgin, whom I still remember with great affection, was the Persian <coughs> um, boss of this little... Uh, newsletter. He later went on to become a big wheel at the uh, National Iranian Television and one of the major organizers of the festival. Anyway, that's unimportant. Uh, I guess what's important is that um, I had uh, what Peter taught me to call beginner's mind. I, uh, I had never done any theater criticism before. I really didn't know all that much about modern theater. And uh, I, what I really knew was the quest in the East. In fact, that's what I'd been involved in low those past three years. And um, when I met, uh, well, I didn't meet Peter Brook. At first, all I did was I went to the plays. It was a series of plays, Orgast, just like the Mahabharata. And 
It was in a made-up language that Brooke and Ted Hughes had developed on their own, uh, a sort of uh, etymological game they played where they um, went for the, I guess what you'd call the uh, Indo-European roots. So that, for example, the one, the only thing I can remember right now is the word for for cow was uh, was um, ga, which uh, is was a corruption of the Persian word for cow, as it happened, which was gav, which uh, caused a, a little bit of amusement among some of the Persians who went to the play. But it was a very impressive, um, plosive, uh, rich-sounding, made-up language, and the experiment at the time, in fact. The ex- one of the major experiments that the Center for Theater Research was based on was the attempt to get beyond language to finally carry out the proposal that uh, Antonin Artaud, I suppose, had really been the first to propose for the modern theater, that Aristotle had been wrong in saying that spectacle was the least important aspect and text the most important. Uh, Artaud turned this on its head and said that spectacle was the most important aspect of theater and text was the least important, even to the extent of being unimportant. That, uh, there was going to be some kind of going beyond the word um, in view of what by that time, of course, was already decades of criticism culminating in general semantics and other theories which just refused to assign the word any kind of uh, significant importance in in modern art. Um, the image and the word, the disappearance of the image and the word were very much uh, of the essence in modernism. And in a sense, part, as I say, part of the background of the Center for Theater Research was this Artaud, Grotowski line of thinking about the relative unimportance of the text. And it also had a practical side in that the group was made up from the start on a very international basis. I think there were nine, seven, eight, nine different nationalities represented at, uh, uh, in, in Iran at, uh, in Orgast. And I think I read somewhere in the material about Mahabharata that there's now something like 17, 18, or 19 different uh, nationalities in the cast of some 25 or 30 people. So it's, it's always been, um, that language has always been a problem uh, for Brooke as a director, and even more so when, in fact, he had actors who could barely communicate with each other except through gesture. So the idea of a made-up language made quite a lot of sense, and the challenge to make a play exciting, and a long play too, make it exciting even though no one would be able to understand any of the words, was uh, an amazing challenge to take, take on. Some people thought it was a total flop. Um, they, uh, they didn't get it. But uh, I reacted very strongly to Orgast, and I wrote a whole series of articles in this little crummy little bulletin, which, by the way, that year was, uh, they had, uh, the type was hand-set by a Persian typesetter who couldn't read English, and it looked like he was working in slow motion. <laughs> So there was um, a certain element of frustration involved in my job. I remember one night I had to break into the editorial offices because they'd locked it up. I came back from, I think, Orgast at 5 in the morning and um, I couldn't get in the building to type up my uh, copy for the next day's bulletin, so I had to break my way in. And I I announced that in the bulletin, and it caused a bit of a stir, as you can imagine. 
but I wrote these long critiques of Orgast, and I had a great advantage in being the uh, virtually the only journalist on this on the spot whose whose uh, assessments of the work would appear the very next day, right after the performance. Obviously, the international papers and magazines uh, wouldn't be able to say anything about it until weeks or even months later, and would tend to wrap up everything into a single article, therefore, and not go into the kind of detailed uh, critique that, of course, every actor and every director longs to have. Furthermore, I guess as a, f as a function of this beginner's mind, this freshness of approach that I had in coming to this work out of the blue and out of the East rather than the West, uh, I intuitively hit on a lot of the uh, concepts that had um, led Brooke to develop this work in the first place. In fact, I remember when I finally did begin to meet some of the uh, actors from the group, they told me that a joke had been going around that these that these critiques had actu actually been written by Brooke himself, not uh, because apparently I, I, I was able to, at, on some occasions I was almost repeating word for word some of the comments that Brooke himself was making in the uh, in his traditional apre performance um, secret sacred sessions as we used to call them when he would get the actors together and tell them what he'd thought and ask them what they'd thought and so forth and so on and um, my apperception of the way the work was going was apparently very close to the way uh, Brooks perception of it was going so uh, they all uh, they all liked my work not just because it was the only review around but because um, I was in tune with what they were doing and as the, as the festival wore on, I got more in tune with them. I got to know them all. I got to know Peter. And uh, all, all sorts of people that I wish I could reminisce about, but uh, there's so few of them left in the group now that I'll have to limit myself to talking only about the three people who are left in, um, or at least who are working on Mahabharata, who were there in, in Persia in 1971. Now, uh, when... Uh, when this uh, when this work was put on, the concept of ritual theater was still very much alive in the avant-garde in modern theater, uh, or at least it was alive to me. Perhaps there were some people there be there there might be some people in Europe who would consider that Brooke came to this whole idea rather late. Um, but in fact, you might look on him as a culminating figure in the uh, the sub movement of the twentieth, well, late 19th, early 20th century theater that's tended towards the theater of ritual. And the material that was dealt with was um, ancient, spiritual, epic in proportion. Um, to tell you the truth, I at this point, it's been so long, I don't remember a lot of details about orgasm, but I remember images, and I remember the severe... Um, costumes, almost monk-like, that were worn. I remember the torches and fires that they would burn. Oh, and I should point out that the, the setting of the play was not Shiraz itself, which is a very Islamic sort of place. It was Persepolis, and not only was it Persepolis, it was these um, rock-cut tombs in the sides of cliffs that you had to clamber up to, and then, of course, at night, clamber down off of. And... Um, the action would eventually center in on one of these tombs, and the audience would all sit on 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 little cushions on the on the cold, windy, dusty rock. And it was all extremely physically taxing. 
and I, I guess it, it was at that stage that I got a taste for, for long, drawn-out, physically taxing, bizarre forms of theater. I guess uh, Peter could be considered to have shaped my taste in that respect. <clears throat> and um, I, uh, anyway, the, the, the upshot of it was that I was um, left with an extremely high opinion of, of Peter Brook's work um, without being able to compare it to too much else in modern theater. Um, in s subsequent festivals of Shiraz, um, because they were organized the way they were and because they were put together with such a, a huge amount of money and uh, really quite quite a modicum of, of good taste, um, almost all the major theatrical groups in the world eventually ended up in, I mean, experimental, avant-garde, out-on-the-edge theater groups ended up in Shiraz, and that even included uh, such extremely radical groups as the Bread and Puppet Theater. Actually, they were there the year before Brooke in 71, so I missed them. And they had contented themselves with uh, taking a few of their shows out on the street and making a few veiled references to the Shah's uh, oppressive regime, but even they weren't able to turn down the amazing um, budgets that, that the Shiraz Festival offered to, uh, to people in, in, in avant-garde theater. I mean, where else could some of these really struggling groups like Andre Gregory, who wasn't that, that enormous at the time, or the magic, Jérôme Savary's Magic Circus, or, uh, or Robert Wilson, for that matter, uh, who was a, a major figure at the Shiraz Festival, came back two or three times, and each time was given, um, well, virtually unlimited budget. Um, and then, of course, there was, they also had people like uh, John Cage, Merce Cunningham, Karl Heinz Stockhausen was invited there to do the, every piece of music he had ever written in his entire life was to be uh, performed at one Shiraz festival. In other words, whatever they did, they did big. When uh, Robert Wilson first came there, he said, oh, I want to put on a play that will last for seven days and seven nights without stopping, and I need a whole mountain to do it on. And they just, you know, snapped their fingers, and some genie came out of a bottle, and there was the mountain, and there was the money, and there was the play, which did indeed go on with a few uh, breaks in the heat of, the, uh, heat of noon, perhaps, uh, really did go on for seven days and seven nights. And uh, so every, everything, that, everything that went on there tended to be massive and athletic and very demanding on the audiences, especially out at Persepolis, um, the, the great um, Greek trilogy of, uh, oh God, you know, the one that was just shown again at La Mama, and I went to see it. Um, um, Andre Sherban's great uh, Greek trilogy was was first staged at Persepolis, and I still have an image in my mind of the uh, the Empress of Iran dashing around over the rocks in this windstorm, followed by a crowd of extremely apprehensive-looking uh, bodyguards trying to get from one scene to the next of uh, Sherban's very peripatetic play. Well, these are all digressions. Um, the next. Uh, Next chapter in the story of um, of my uh, knowledge, Peter Brook, came about when, first of all, he invited me to work for him. Um, the next year, the Center for Theater Research was going to go to Africa, and I was not able to do that. I forget exactly why. It was kind of stupid. I should have, because it was obviously a great experience. And uh, then he invited me again to work with him in America, which was going to be a culminating third year of that original three-year experiment, experimental work in which um, basically uh, Brooke was going to the far ends of the earth and performing for 
people who knew nothing about theater. I mean, uh, first villages in Iran, uh, then villages in Africa, and there was no sort of Persepolis event in Africa either to culminate and to put the work before a sophisticated urban audience. It was all just sort of wandering down the west coast of Africa from tribe to tribe and saying, uh, you know, you do your dances for us and we'll do our play for you. So the third um, chapter in that story was going to be work in America with El Teatro Campesino in California. If you don't know who they are, they were an offshoot of the San Francisco meme troupe, who uh, in turn are an offshoot of the Commedia dell'arte tradition mixed in with radical politics. And the Teatro Campesino had begun as um, a group of propagandists working with Cesar Chavez and had gotten to be really quite excellent on their own. Luis Valdez, the director, was a person I still remember with uh, great admiration and warmth. By the way, made uh, eventually, you, you might know him through the movie that he made called Zoot Suit, which I thought was a very under, severely underrated, um, excellent little American movie. Uh, and then after that, uh, we were going to, he was going to go work with uh, American Indians and the Native American Theater Ensemble and then in Minnesota. And then finally, uh, after a few other stops, small short stops along the way, was going to end up with a long stint in Brooklyn at the Brooklyn Ac Academy of Music, as it was then, um, in a typical Brookian empty space. You know Brooke is the author of the book, The Empty Space. And um, after Antonin Artaud's Le Théâtre et son Double, Empty Space is probably the most important manifesto of, uh, of the avant-garde theater that's, um, that's been written, at least to my knowledge. Uh, and it, the, the title sums up very much uh, a whole complex of uh, aesthetic values that are, are important to Brooke. The idea being that Theater does not depend on anything except having an empty space and some people. It uh, doesn't depend on text. It doesn't depend on actors or directors in any central way. It doesn't depend on audiences in any central or, or central way or a way in which audience is usually understood. It doesn't depend on props. doesn't depend on uh, lighting. That basically Peter had a really a rather romantic vision of a troupe of traveling players who would, uh, who would unroll their rug and in the space of a rug, a very large Persian carpet, by the way, that he had acquired somewhere, um, a, uh, anywhere in the world, on any, in any place, in any high school gymnasium or the lawn of a park or whatever, um, through improvisation, mostly, most of the work at that point uh, was to be improvisatory. And in Brooklyn, we would, uh, we were, uh, well, I should, anyway, uh, I don't want to leave you in suspense. I took that job, so that's how I happen to know so much about it. I worked with him in 1974 through 1975 for about six months altogether, I think it was. And um, the piece that was being done at the time was Attar, Fariduddin Attar, the Attar's Conference of the Birds, the Mantik Atar, one of the greatest of all Sufi poems, a sort of an epic, if you like, a Sufi epic. Um, to make an extremely long story short, it's the story of 30 birds who uh, set out to find the king of the birds and uh, discover that the king of the birds is, in fact, themselves 
So it's a, a long, drawn-out parable about the spiritual search and the identity of the self and the Godhead and so forth and so on. But what makes it so attractive from a theatrical point of view is that it's also like the Thousand and One Nights. It's a series of stories within a story. And each of those stories is um, a little self-contained anecdote that's supposed to illustrate some point that the uh, that's being made about the grand overall theme of the seven valleys and the quest and so forth. So that these stories became focuses, or foci, if you insist, for um, uh, improvisatory work. <clears throat> and um, 